Today on the show, Seahawks beat writer Bob Condota joins me to give his firsthand impressions of this young Seahawks roster as we are now just a little over a month away from the start of training camp. How's that young defensive line looking and could help still be on the way there? Who stood out the most to him every time he watched practice? And he gives us a name that not everyone is talking about. I ask him about how much longer he thinks Pete Carroll will stick around, Shane Waldron's viability as a head coaching candidate, and I ask him to predict the three starting cornerbacks for the Seahawks on opening day. That might surprise you a little bit as well. And we were at the same classic rock concert many, many, many years ago. We talk a little music at the end of this interview as well. You'll want to stick around for that. Bob Condota of the Seattle Times joins me on Seahawks Forever next. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Before we get going, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. If you like what we do here, it's the best way to support the channel, and then you always get notifications of new episodes. Like this one, as promised, Bob Condota, Seahawks beat writer for the Seattle Times, joins me now to give his impressions of the Seahawks offseason so far. Bob, thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time. Sure, yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. So I want to do this, first of all, I want to start with the 360 degree view from your perspective, because, you know, this time of the offseason, storylines are limited. We we tend to to beat things into the ground a little bit. But if I could ask you one thing to start with, it'd be this. What if there was an overall impression that you came away from rookie minicamp, OTAs, mandatory minicamp, everything you've seen so far, a vibe a certain player that stands out, a feeling that this team gives you, what would that one overriding feeling right now be for you? Well, I, so the 360 view might be that the, of the complete 180 they have sort of done in the last 14 months. I just think, I just think it's hard not to sort of look at the overall team and, and not be impressed with where everybody thought they were in March of 2022 when they traded Russell Wilson and released Bobby Wagner on the same day and just kind of this idea that, you know, they're just consigning themselves to a few years of, of being in last place. And, 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 you know, maybe, maybe they can rebuild it eventually. And, you know, maybe Pete Carroll won't be around for that and all that. And now here you are, you know, in 2023, and they've obviously added a really 10, you know, impressive draft class last year, uh, put together another one this year that looks like it's going to be um, really, uh, you know, really impactful from the start with, with a number of players, you know, identified a quarterback at Geno Smith, um, you know, and maybe, maybe, maybe that caught them by surprise too. How well Geno Smith played last year, and, and th- th- there's maybe still the question of, you know, can he do that for the long haul? But having just sort of done all that, you know, and here, here they are. Um, the only Rams and the and the Arizona Cardinals is sort of the two teams that everybody's like, oh, they're just kind of not even going to be competitive in 2023. And the Seahawks and the 49ers are sort of the powers of the NFC West. And you know, if all goes right, maybe the Seahawks can somehow actually win the division. And who would have thought that? You know, 14 months ago, I mean, nobody would have thought that. If, if anybody was doing a two-year, two or three-year projection of the NFC West, I think almost everybody at that point, you know, when the Rams were coming off the Super Bowl and Arizona had resigned Kyler Murray and and uh, the 49ers were the 49ers and all that, um, you know, you would, I think you would have just kept pegging the Seahawks to be last for the next few years um, going into it. So I think that's really the, the overriding thing that's, you know, that's really hard to, you know, to not look at. I still yeah. don't feel like they're necessarily at the same stage they were in 2012. You know, Pete Carroll's made that illusion a few times. Um, you know, they, they looked so good down the stretch in 2012. It was obvious that that, that was an incredibly talented team. I don't mm-hmm. know that we're that quite there yet with this team, 
but maybe we get there eventually with this team, um, you know, at some point in 2023, especially if a lot of these young players emerge. Yeah, it, it does feel like it, it's easy for us to sweep that under the rug that it was only for you to say, to, to put it in those terms, that 14 months ago, it was barely over a year ago that Russell Wilson was traded. And, and I think because it's gone so well and everyone, there's all these feel-good uh, sentiments coming out of the fan base and all the reporters like you who cover the team, that they've basically done everything about as well as you could have done since that trade. It's kind of easy to overlook the fact that that was a tremendous risk at the time. Right. I mean, it could have gone completely differently. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, when you trade, when you trade a, you know, I think, I think Russell Wilson is still going to be in the hall of fame. Probably. I guess, I guess unless things really continue to to crater there, maybe he doesn't, but I still think, I still think his resume, you know, his first 10 years of his resume is enough to get him into the hall of fame and obviously the best quarterback in Seahawks history and all of that. And when you trade a guy like that, what is still at a time, you know, coming off the season, he was obviously he'd been hurt and, you know, I think you can look back now and be like, oh, there were some signs or whatever. But, you know, he played pretty well those last few games of that year. Um, it, it, you know, he had some good – I know he had a couple of bad plays here and there in some of those games, and um, like the Chicago loss and stuff like that. But yeah. still, if, if you sort of look at that, I don't, I don't know that anybody looked at the end of that year and thought Russell Wilson's done. You know, I, th- I think people thought that they were trading a quarterback in the prime of his career who was going to have four or five really good years left. And so for sure, I mean, that's the hardest thing to get in the NFL is a quarter is, is a really good quarterback. And yeah. the Seahawks had one and they traded him away and they were yeah taking a big risk that they were going to be able to turn all these assets into um, in, uh, you know, all the all the all the things they were going to get into really usable assets immediately. You know, they did with last year's draft. Um, you know, I think they have with this year's draft. I mean, we'll see for sure. You know, sure. these guys still got to go out there and play and and, and kind of prove it. But, uh, you know, they made a lot of picks that, you know, made a lot of sense, filled a lot of holes and and all of that. And, and they were able to do that, you know, really quickly with all that they got there. And then just, you know, a few other smart moves that they've made. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, again, that's just that, that's just that's just where I'm at with this, you yeah. know, more than any one player or, um, you know, obviously that all that leads to the vibe. I mean, people do kind of talk about that. What's the vibe of the team up there? I think it's very optimistic and enthusiastic right now because of the season they did have. And then the additions they were able to make and, you know, re-signing Gino and, and all of that, you know, I I mean, this is a, it it was funny. A few of us were talking during, uh, during some of the OTAs about in a way, kind of how boring they are right now, Um, you know, sort of compared to so many other years, you were always, even at this time of the year, you were going into it like, Oh, are they going to be able to resign DK or, yeah. or Jamal Adams or Bobby or Russell or whatever? There was always something that seemed to be hanging over the team as sort of a kind of a potential uh, question mark. And, um, you know, right now there isn't really any of that. You know, I think yeah. it's been a really smooth, calm um, offseason for them, which is, uh, you know, which is kind of rare for the Seahawks in, in the Pete Carroll era, but obviously something they like. But I mean, I think that's I think that's all leading to it. You know, I think they just feel like we've got a lot of good pieces here if we keep our head down and. You know, someone and and if things go as planned, we're going to be a competitive team and a contender for a playoff spot, and maybe even for the division next year. And you touched on it. You can't talk about what they've done without talking about Geno Smith and and his emergence as a legitimate starting quarterback, and and now here contractually anyway for the next three years, if if not beyond. Compare and contrast this year, uh, this time a year ago, and now. Did did. Did you see a difference in, in the Geno Smith that you watched this training camp compared to last? I mean, not really. I, I and I know it's. I, I guess I should be able to come up with something like that. But Geno, um, you know, from day one with the Seahawks, and one of the things that impressed them about him so much, and why they had faith that he might be able to do this, 
uh, was he always took such a professional approach to everything. Um, you know, I, I think he was always a really steady player out there, a guy who did what they wanted, um, did it to the best of his ability. And, uh, you know, I don't really see anything that different about Gino in that regard, other than, you know, I think you see a little bit more of the leadership kind of stuff. Now, again, we, you know, we, we get a pretty limited view of the offseason. We, you know, we get like, we get access to essentially six, you know, practices that are yeah. really, you know, kind of light in nature and stuff like that. You know, there's no pads. They're not, they're not, you know, it's an awful lot of kind of individual and drill work and stuff like that. But, um, but, you know, I, I do, I do think maybe there's a little bit of a difference in how Gino carries himself out there. I mean, he knows he's the leader of the team now. And I think you see that show up a little bit in some interactions with some guys here and there. Um, you know, it's a little bit different when you know you're the guy and you can, you know, maybe give some instruction to a player and it's coming from that point, you know, like I know for sure I'm going to be the guy throwing to you right. on Sunday in September. So we need to make sure we're on the same page about this kind of stuff as opposed to, you know, competing for the job. But, you know, I think in general, it's it's kind of the same Gino. And, and you know, that was uh, kind of the storyline everybody had. Um, or, you know, the, the thing that a lot of the, uh, you know, Pete Carroll and John Schneider and stuff like that kind of referred to was, you know, right after the season ended, they got back from San Francisco after that playoff loss and held their meetings. And Gino went right into the uh, Gino went right into the um, um, the weight room to yeah. you know get his workout in and stuff like that. And then you know after his contract, uh, the signing in March, that was what he did. I mean, they just feel like uh, um, you know I think that's again that's why they kept uh, kind of re-signing him. You know, all those years as the backup because mm -hmm. he handled that role really well. And I think they felt confident that once he became the starter, or if he did become the starter, that he would handle that role well uh, also. Let's stick with the quarterbacks for a minute. What did you see from Drew Locke in the in the times that you got to see him? And and does he look like he's more comfortable or he's taking a step forward at all? Yeah, I, I mean, again, I, it's it, it's really hard to judge a lot of that in these kind of sessions. Um, you know, these sessions are really designed to make the offense look good because there's right. no contact. Defenders can't make plays on the ball. Um, you know, any interceptions you ever hear about basically either tip passes or a ball thrown right yeah, to a guy because, like you know, they're not supposed to go, um, you know, kind of bump into a receiver or anything. They're trying to not have contact this time of year. But um, so I, I can't say I, I, I'd, I'd be hesitant to say I, I saw something in Drew Locke to let me believe he's going to take a big step forward this year. But that's going to be, a, to me, a big storyline of August and the preseason games. They are mm -hmm. going to want to see that. You know, he's going to get a lot of time in these preseason games. They're not going to need to give a lot of that to Geno Smith yeah. this year in the three preseason games they have. And, and, and it was obvious, you know, they've got a third quarterback on the roster and Holden Allers, but we almost never saw him yeah. do anything in, in sort of the team sessions. They were giving um, all the snaps to Geno and to Drew Locke. And, and I think that was the promise they made to Drew Locke and resigning him was, you're, you know, you're signing to be the backup to Geno, but we're going to get you an awful lot of work in the offseason program and in the preseason games. And, you know, those preseason games will be huge for him to show not just the Seahawks, but everybody else in the NFL, you know, what he can do. And so, I, I you know, I think he's going to, you know, I, again, I think that's sort of the promise they made to him was you're going to get an awful lot of the reps and snaps this year. Um, and we will really try to prepare you well for these preseason games to go out and then prove that. And he's obviously only got a one year deal with the Seahawks. And so, you know, at that point, he can he a obviously gets himself, you know, better prepared than he was able to last year in case mm -hmm. he does have to play. Um, you know, with last year, obviously, with the way things went, he didn't end up playing a whole lot in those preseason games. But this year, the plan, I think, will be for him, you know, like the third preseason game at Green Bay, he probably starts it and, and they probably hope he plays the whole way yeah. um, or, or something like that, you know. Um, but where it's a resume, not just for the Seahawks, maybe resigning him after that year, depending on how things go. But, you know, for the rest of the NFL, if he, if he becomes a free agent, I think that was one of the things with his free agency this year. I think people were like Drew Locke will have, you know, I think he I think he 
had some interest from some other teams, but there wasn't a lot, you know, he didn't play last year. So there wasn't a lot nothing new for teams to be able to see that. Um, and, you know, and it has been a big part of the Drew Locke story. You know, he's had so many different changes on offensive coordinators and stuff like that mm-hmm. during his career. And I think that was one of the things that did excite him about coming back was being in the same offense and with the same coordinator um, and being able to hit the ground running a lot more this year and be able to do that and kind of show that to everybody. So, um, so he will be, uh, you know, long winded way of saying, I, I, I don't know that I signed anything so far to indicate Drew Locke's taking a big step forward, but that is going to be the, the, you know, one of the biggest storylines of August, because I do think the Seahawks still, um, you know, I think John Schneider in particular, um, you know, I think he really liked Drew Locke. They liked him coming out of college. Yeah. Um, they really targeted him in the Russell trade. You know, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say they wouldn't have made it without uh, getting uh, Drew Locke back, but they really wanted Drew Locke in that trade. It wasn't just a throw in idea there um you know i think john really you know i I think in the mid-august last year there was still a thought that drew lock and by some people in the organization that drew lock could win the starting job (laughs) and uh you know i still think they think he can be a viable starting quarterback in the nfl so um you know i I think they uh i I think they kind of feel that investment in him a little bit so that was so he'll he'll be a key storyline to me um throughout the preseason and in the preseason games you mentioned Shane Waldron, and and I think the consensus is that this offense has a chance to be really explosive this year. And and if and when that happens, that certainly it, it enhances his resume and his ability to to be considered a head coaching candidate. My question about Shane Waldron has always been that that he's a very soft spoken guy. He, he's not necessarily one of those guys that that commands the podium when he steps behind it. In your interactions with him and and watching him work, do you see a future head coach in him? Yeah, well, that's an interesting thought because I I think there's this I maybe this kind of cinematic idea of what a head coach is sometimes. And one of the examples I always use of a head coach who didn't look anything like a, a football head coach and is one of the best football coaches ever is Bill Snyder of Kansas State. Hmm. Um, you know, I had a few kind of personal interactions with him in bowl games I covered and stuff like that. You would never look at Bill Snyder or hear Bill Snyder talk and be like, you know, this guy is one of the best college football coaches of all time. But that's what Bill Snyder was. So there's a lot of different ways you can do that, you know, and 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 coaching at the end of the day is far more, you know, I think I, 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 because that's a lot of times what we see is sort of that public aspect of how they how they talk. And, you know, you see the NFL films clips of what they say in the locker room afterwards and stuff like that. And I think you feel like that's, you know, there's an ideal of what an NFL head coach is. But, you know, I don't know that Bill Belichick necessarily wows everybody with with uh, pregame speeches or anything like that. Um, you know, Chuck Knoll and yeah. Chuck Knoll was famous for apparently, you know, basically never saying anything pregame. You know, it was just like, you know, you lay out the game plan during the week. This is how we're going to do it. And it's your job on Sunday to go to go do what we caught, uh, taught you all week kind of thing. So. Um, so I, I, would be hesitant to judge Shane Waldron's future head coaching capacity on things we hear from him in press conferences or anything like that. Um, you know, I do think it's, it, you know, it's, um, again, I think football coaching more than any other sport is so much about kind of the detail and the way you mm-hmm. teach things during the week and then the way you coach it on the field and, and all of that. And, uh, you know, so far what we've seen is that, is that he's pretty good at that. Um, you know, he does seem to have put together a you know an offense that obviously last year worked worked up you know they got some they got some issues i mean they need they need to get better in the red zone and some things like that you know they they uh they didn't always maximize all their opportunities in, in every key situation last year yeah. but and you know the you know the 49ers certainly uh were able to stop them when they really needed to so they've got some steps to take there but i think this year really will be that year for saying 
adding, you know, adding Jackson Smith and Jigba, um, you know, basically retaining everybody else on the offense, every other key part, you know, adding, adding a running back. I mean, they, for all the talk of what they added to the, you know, the defense, I mean, they added a lot, you know, they spent some significant resources on the offense in terms of draft picks anyway, yeah. this year and, and trying to just make sure they have, you know, the, excuse me, the depth they need on the offensive line and running back and receiver. And not just depth, obviously, in JSM, but a guy who should be able to contribute a lot right away. So I think this year will be sort of the fairest assessment yet of exactly how good of an offensive coordinator Shane Waldron is, because you really don't have, you know, obviously his first year, Russell gets hurt and all, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird year. And then last year, you're breaking in Gino and a new quarterback and, you know, rookies playing tackle and stuff like that. Um, and, and you can, and you can forget, you know, Rashad Penny getting hurt. I mean, they yeah. really were, uh, you know, they, they, um, you know, the, the, the the couple of games when you know that like the the lions game and stuff like that when Rashad penny was healthy i mean you saw an offense that was almost unstoppable um and you know if, if they'd have been able to keep Rashad the whole year i think it would have looked a, uh, looked a little bit different and, and some of those maybe the 49er games and stuff like that at the end might have been a little bit different if you had some more options and that was the idea behind um drafting zach charbonnet yeah. is being able to do that so um you know i think this will be a really interesting year from that standpoint because um, you know, he, there's sort of no excuses this year, you know, if the Seahawks offense yeah. isn't really good. So you mentioned JSN. To me, he's the guy that every time I watch uh, streams or highlights of, of what was going on in OTAs, he just he just stood out to me. No matter, even if the, the video wasn't keyed on him, he's just a guy that just seems like such a natural player from the second he stands on the field or steps on the field. Uh, and he's gotten a lot of attention since that first day. Who are some other guys for you that every time you watch to work out, no matter what you were paying attention to, just caught your eye. Well, I liked I liked Charbonnet a lot, and mm. again, these are you know, there's no pads, there's no tackling, there's no yeah. contact. So, running backs again, it kind of always can look good because you know you get you get handed the ball and the defenders sort of you know maybe tag you or whatever. But he looked you know he from what we could tell in those kind of ways, he definitely sort of looked the part. Uh, you know, he looked he looked very natural in the passing game. Um, you know, we saw them do a lot of that. Uh, and again, I, I don't know how much more that they're going to incorporate running backs into their passing attack when they just drafted a receiver in the first round. True. Um, you know, there's a, and you've got three really good receivers now. I don't know that you're going to do that and then decide we're just going to throw a bunch of dump offs to running backs all year long. But but I do think these are guys that they can put set, set up in some specific situations. Um, and I think they want to do that and um, th- with their running backs to, to really take advantage of it if, time, if, te- if teams are really keying on the receivers. And, uh, you know, Char- Char- so Charbonnet, I, I always sort of caught my eye that way. Mike Morris really stands out just physically. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. if there's anybody who just kind of, you know, he's a he's he's a unique physical specimen. On, and I know, uh, you know, some of the scouting reports are almost like, is he too tall to play inside? You know, mm-hmm. is, is leverage going to be an issue for him? And Pete Carroll has mentioned that, that, you know, him, him being able to get his pads, you know, his pad level down and, and you know, low man wins and all that is going to be a, re- a real big, a real big key for him. And we don't see any, you know, hitting. Um, or contact. So that, I didn't get a sense of that yet. But if you're just look, saying, look at a guy that looks really impressive out there, yeah. uh, Mike Morris definitely looks like that. You know, he's he's a tall guy and, and now almost weighs now weighs almost 300 pounds. You know, after after losing a bunch of weight after his last season at Michigan. So, you know, he really kind of stood out that way. Um, and I'm trying to go through the list real fast of all of all the. Let's stay on the defensive the line because I want to ask you about another young guy. Yeah. Um, because that's still, it's pretty obvious that the fan base is still a little nervous about that group, but because it's all new guys and young guys, and and it's a group that uh, it seems like the team is is not just counting on those young guys coming up 
and and playing well, contributing as rookies, but leaning on them. And specifically about Cameron Young, I found Pete's comments about him last week interesting. It, I don't think, I just felt like he was a little cautious in his assessment of Cam. And he did point out that, you know, they're asking him to do much different things than he did in college. It's a whole different technique and a whole different scheme. But but is there a little bit of a concern in your mind that, they're putting too much on Cameron Young's plate that he really has to play well at that nose tackle position because there aren't a lot of other options there. Um, yeah, there, there, there aren't yet. I, I know yet. Yes. What, one of the things they think internally, I think, is with their defensive scheme, nose tackles, not a super complicated position to teach. So if they, if, so if there's a, a veteran who gets cut in mid August or whatever, that they could sign him and plug him in and he could, he could immediately be, be a big factor, mm. you know, that the way they do things with their nose tackle spot, um, it's not super complicated. So I, I don't think they're done necessarily adding to the nose tackle spot. I think that's a position you're going to keep seeing them do some things and adding some guys and, you know, and, and they do hate, they do hope Brian Monet comes back at some point, but mm. you know, we asked again about Monet last week and, and, you know, Pete, Pete again was very sort of, you know, there's no real ETA and all that. So so that's a little bit concerning. Yeah, I, it didn't I, sound great. Yeah. So, I mean, he for sure is obviously going to start the year on the pup list yeah. and then, you know, they'll take it from there and see what happens. Um, but, uh, but, but um, I, I, I think it can be overstated maybe a little bit about what they have there right now, because I, that again, if there's, if there's anywhere, any spot, they, you know, trade a future fifth round pick for something in the in training camp, that's, I think where it would be. Or they'll, or they'll just sort of wait to see who gets cut and what kind of veterans uh, come out there. You know, as someone reminded me, you know, in 2016, I think it was, you know, they signed Tony McDaniel in mid-August. Yeah, he was famously, I think, uh, he was famously, I think, vacationing in Chelan when they called him and really had no, didn't necessarily know if he was going to be playing that year or anything. And they re-signed him and, and he ended up being, you know, one of their starting, um, basically their starting nose tackle. They did things differently then, but, but yeah. uh, um, you know, kind of a starter for him all year long. And obviously he played and been familiar with what they did. So maybe that's a little bit of a different thing, but um, you know, I do, I do think they feel like they can maybe do that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I do think Cameron Young's going to be a, a pretty vital thing in what they do. I think the one reason, again, you, you hear the coaches be hesitant about um, things with linemen is because of the, the physical aspect is so important and they just don't see that yet. So there's yeah, nothing right. to judge any of that on because you don't, there's no pads and there's none of that. And the reason I think sometimes you feel like you can make more assessments of receivers and some of those positions is because with a lot of those guys, you sort of know what their speed is going to be. And yeah. so with so, a lot, so much of that, this time of so much of this time of year, it's just kind of learning. Are they, are they doing the right things? You know, are they hearing the audibles correctly and going to the spot we need them to go to kind of thing? That's that's what they can really judge people on. That's a that's that's important for the linemen, but it's not the most important thing because the most important thing is really can you win can you win any battles physically up front? And they just don't know that about these guys yet. But uh, you know, so I think that's why they're not you know other than kind of saying the rudimentary stuff. I don't know if they're going to say any uh, much one way or the other about some of these guys because you know there's certainly been been young guys they've had that they were excited about this time of year yeah. um you know because maybe they did all that and then suddenly you know when the pads go on it becomes a different game uh, hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, 
Priceline. And staying at that position just briefly. Uh, you know, the adjustments can change quickly. Yeah. There was there was one player I did want to ask you about specifically because there was a there was a line just a uh, just a little one sentence uh, blurb in a piece that you wrote last week that the that the coaching staff is high on Austin Fiolu, uh, the former Sea Dragon All XFL player that played at the University of Oregon. He can play that nose spot. I think he's six three, almost three hundred pounds. What gave you that impression that they like uh, his potential? Yeah, just just heard that from some people that they were that they were excited about him, and um, you know, just when when I asked some people about you know the nose tackle spot, they said don't overlook that signing. You know, they were they were like, no, maybe nobody knows who he is. He's not a big, you know, he's not some veteran big name kind of guy. But that they but that they did really like him. They scouted him obviously with the XFL and 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 just the look of how he played. Uh, You know, and a guy obviously from Oregon, so they'd seen him. You know, they scouted him out of college and stuff like that. So somebody they've seen. but unfortunately, he he had some sort of a knee issue, and we didn't get the specifics of how serious it is. Mm. Um, should have maybe pressed on that harder, I guess. But uh, hard in those sessions to to spend a lot of time asking about a specific guy that uh, you know sort of down the roster, I guess. But yeah. but uh, um, but Pete mentioned that he that, that was why he hadn't been out there because yeah. he had he had sort of a lingering knee issue from the Sea Dragons, and so they needed to address that. So um, hopefully he'll be ready for training camp, and if he is. Um, you know, I do expect that what um, that they'll want to get a good long look at him before they make any other decisions. I think the same of Jonah Tavai, who is definitely, yeah. um, you know, Jonah Tavai is not is not very tall at all. No. He does not look like a, a conventional nose tackle. We saw him yesterday at the um, at the little canoe event they had, and and uh, you know, kind of seeing him without pads. I'm not sure you would look at him uh, if you just saw him walking around and go, "There's an NFL nose tackle," but yeah. um, which is why you know he didn't go, he didn't get drafted, despite the fact he put up a he he had a, an awful lot of production at San Diego State. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think they want to see him, too. And so, I you know, I may frustrate fans. You kind of want the big a big name veteran to, like, answer that question immediately. But I think they're going to want to see these guys um, into camp a little bit, maybe through the first preseason game or two, and get a sense of how they can play when sort of the lights go on um, before they would do that. And, again, you know, I think, I think they, that's then a spot they feel like we could pick up somebody after the cuts to 53 if there's some veteran who kind of is a, a surprise cut, cut or a salary cap cut or whatever, um, you know, somebody becomes available that way. That's a spot we can do that. So, again, I think if, it, you know, if there's any spot they're going to be aggressive to do things, um, it will be there. Yeah, and with the the rule change this year that there's just one cut. They go from 90 to 53. is almost a they've, – they've created – another wave of free agency that's going to happen. It's going to be a crazy mad dash and uh, fans should keep that in mind. Whenever they set the 53 man roster, that's probably not going to be the roster that, that ends up going into the first game. Uh, let me ask you this. A lot of attention paid to the secondary for good reason this off season with what Tariq Woolen did as a rookie last year and Kobe Bryant as well, to some extent, Pete Carroll talking at length about how Mike Jackson stood out as much as anyone in this camp. And then, uh, and then they spend the number five pick overall on Devin Witherspoon because of the injuries. He was moved around a little bit. They played him more in the slot near the end of camp. If you had to bet uh, today, right now, who the starting three cornerbacks slot and the two outside spots on opening day, who would it be? That's a really good question. I that we didn't see Kobe Bryant at all makes it a little hard to answer that because I, I don't know if some of the things they were doing at nickel are like, especially with Witherspoon are like, that's a real thought of playing in there yeah. or just because Kobe wasn't there. It just gave a lot of, you know, that allowed them to just throw a lot of guys out there and sort of see what happens. But I guess, I guess if I really had to do that, um, I think I'd still stick with 
Um, I, I think the three guys would be Tariq Woolen, M- Mike Jackson, and Devin Witherspoon, okay. and then exa- and then probably Witherspoon as the nickel. I, I think that's yeah. probably what I, I what I would go with right now based on what we saw. And and you can move Mike Jackson back to the other side. You can leave Tariq where he was last year, and you could play Witherspoon. You could play Witherspoon at the slot. Um, but you know, I, I wrote several different stories about this during the time. I mean, to me, this how the secondary uh, comes together is going to be the you know probably the overriding um, real story of training camp, because not just with those guys, but with the safeties as well. And, you know, whether Jamal Adams comes back uh, or how quickly Jamal Adams comes back, you know, is he ready week one kind of thing? Um, You know, what do they do with the safety spots and how that all develops? And then what do they do with the corners? And, you know, Trey Brown um, was doing really well uh, as well. Also, I I don't rule out that he could factor into this somehow, you know, obviously like in the Legion of Boom era, um, they basically went four or five years and they were able to throw, um, you know, largely anyway, the same kind of uh, the same four defensive backs out there. And they never had to do anything. They didn't rotate or any of that. You know, Pete's shown a little bit more uh, of a willingness to do that the last few years of kind of rotating guys and trying to do some matchup kind of things. And so, you know, I think with the depth they have a cornerbacker that they feel like they might have, I think they might go into it um, wanting to do it that way a little bit more. But uh yeah, it, Michael Jackson played really well. Um, there was no doubt about it in the offseason program. And at the moment, it's hard to see he wouldn't. It's hard to say he wouldn't be one of those guys, even yeah. though um, he's probably making almost the, less, the, the least amount of money of, right. out of everybody there <laughs> uh, because he's on an exclusive, an exclusive rights free agent deal. Uh, this is a really young roster. Uh, can't talk about that enough. Pete Carroll seems as energized as ever. Do you get any kind of a sense of how much longer he might want to do this? I mean, I don't think he's putting any time frame on it. Um, you know, his contract essentially goes for three more years and, um, um, you know, he'd be 75 years old and all that at the time when that last contract runs out. But, uh, I, you know, I don't think he's looking at it that way. I, I just think he's taking it year by year as long as it keeps being, you know, as long as they keep doing well and it keeps being fun for him. I think he's going to want to I think he's going to want to ride this through. Um, you know, again, I mean, I, I guess if you're talking about writing through this rookie class, does that mean he's like 79 years old and he's out there doing that? I mean, uh, you know, but Pete Carroll has proven to, to be a really unique person in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways. And maybe he's one guy who could who could coach for that long. Um, you know, I don't know that he necessarily, you know, he's not a guy I, I don't think he, who's ever been looking forward to retirement. So there's something else I can do. I think this is all he's ever wanted to do in life. Yeah. You know, I don't think he's ever looked at wanting to, you know, move into move into different roles on a full time basis or anything like that. You know, I think he I mean, I think he feels like he was born to coach and, and loves it. And so I think he's going to do it for as long as it, it sort of makes sense, both for him and for for his employer. And, you know, and at this stage, obviously, he's not moving on somewhere else. He's not going to take over a yeah. building job at age, you know, 73 or something with some other friend franchise you know it's it's sort of seahawks or bust at this point and if things had not gone as well the last 15 months you know as they as it appears that they have you know maybe he'd maybe he'd have have been done already i mean you know if they really had cratered to two and 15 or something last year like people thought but you know the fact that they didn't they were able to they were able to um look like they've rebuilt pretty quickly and now put this rookie class on top of last year's and, and you know you got a quarterback for the next few years it looks like um you know i don't really think he's looking you know any further beyond the next year or two and then just kind of seeing what happens but you know it's probably you know it's probably fair to say it's a little bit of a year-to-year proposition at this point with him 
simply simply because of that. You know, for some reason this year things don't go real well. I mean, you know, who knows? Um, but uh, you know, I, I think everybody thinks they will. And obviously, again, with his contract situation, I think it's I think it's largely going to be his call at this point how long he stays. Bob, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk Seahawks with me and uh, being on the show. There's one thing I want to finish on, though. So you and I have some shared history. Both went to Washington State University. You grew up in the Tri-Cities. I worked there for a few years out of college. We also discovered, I think it was last year sometime, uh, we either interacted about a sh over another tweet that was made or something. But I think we were at the same concert a very long time ago. Uh, my first concert ever, 1978, at what was then called the Seattle Center Coliseum, was Kiss. And uh, and I actually, then my second concert ever uh, was Kiss. So I saw him in 78 on what, what I believe was the Alive 2 tour, and 79, which was the Dynasty tour. Were you at one of those shows? Yes, I was at the Dynasty tour okay. show. So yes, um, that was the first time I ever saw Kiss. So uh, growing up in the Tri-Cities, uh, you know, and... and um, Kiss didn't come through uh, Richmond yeah, or Pasco no. or anything um, during that time. And so it wasn't until I moved to Seattle um, as a uh, as a sophomore in high school that I was able to start going to concerts. But I was very excited to uh, to go see them. So, yeah, I think it was November uh, of that. It was right Obviously, before you, Thanksgiving, you, you I think. Look, yeah. What? I think it was. Yeah, we right looked this up, but I think it was right around Thanksgiving time or something like that. But, yeah, it was the Dynasty Tour. And I've since seen them five or six other times. Um, in varying in varying incarnations, the non makeup phase and and uh, the reunion yeah, tour and stuff same. like that. But, uh, but yeah, that one that one uh, certainly stands out. But uh, that was sort of the sort of the end of the first incarnation of of Kiss all being together was was that tour. Yeah, in fact, somewhere on YouTube there's a news story. I think of when they were in Seattle. It shows footage from that show, and they started to talk about how there were a lot of empty seats starting to happen on that tour. So I same history. Uh, so in fact, I saw him another time at the Coliseum without makeup, and there was, I don't know, there was maybe people standing in general admission, and the place was empty. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, they're coming back one more time. Are you gonna go see them? They are. I am. Yeah. Backing tracks and all. <laughs> so yeah um so yeah it'd be fun to, fun to see them one last time before they did that but i actually saw them i saw them at the tacoma dome in 2019 when they, okay. at that time it was it was billed as you know maybe the last time ever you're going to see yeah. them i have the t-shirt that says the last tour and all that and now here it is four years later and, uh, <laughs> i think this uh, is I'm their fourth again, but, farewell but, tour yeah uh yeah, give me your favorite favorite kiss deep cut my favorite kiss deep cut um not one of the obvious ones. i mean I, yeah I, it, well i mean i guess i don't I, I mean for kiss fanatics i don't even know what qualifies as a as a deep cut because it's sort of like them all but right um i, I mean let me go rock and roll the the alive version okay. on, on the end of uh on the end of the first you know, a lot of favorite songs ever yeah. um i used to say that was one of the songs i wanted to wanted to have played at my funeral if uh, okay um you know if it ever got <laughs> if, if when it gets to that point it's a fitting but, uh, song but yeah that's uh that, that i don't know if that's a deep cut or not i don't know if kiss fans would say that's a deep cut but uh but that would but, but it's certainly not a, a hit i guess that uh, the casual fans would yeah. i guess technically a deep cut would be something that was never released as a single which would disqualify mine too mine i would go with uh who wants to be lonely off of uh asylum I yeah. always, always had an affinity for that song. It's one of those that every few months on Spotify, I just have to play it like 10 times in a row. So, yeah. <laughs> well, Bob, thanks a lot. Uh, this is, this is it until training camp starts. Is this that time of year when you get to get away for a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. In fact, um, 
as we're doing this, I think the rookies are kind of on the field right now for mm-hmm. what's their final OTA. And then they're, uh, um, they're, they're heading out and they're, and they're all done. And yeah, then they don't come back until uh, I think reporting date is July 25th and the first practice will be July 26th. Um, so, um, yeah, it's a kind of the, the one time of the year, the NFL doesn't make a lot of news, although the NFL has a way of always making some news, but, but as I was saying for the Seahawks, this is, this is one time when, um, you know, there's no contract situation I, during the summer last year, we were still all writing. Oh, when stories and you know previous years it was jamal and, and some of the other guys but they don't even really have anything like that so yeah. um you know if you're the seahawks you're probably hoping there's there's no news from now until until training camp because there's there's probably nothing that, that should be going on anyway this is that time of year that coaches and gms have sweaty palms more than any other time of the year i think can they can we get them back into training camp in good shape without any incidents for sure exactly yeah they, they do hope that and um you know and then sometimes there's there's been a couple guys here and there who get you know get hurt doing their own training regimens yeah. or whatever this yeah. time of year i mean it's not just the obvious don't get it don't get arrested stuff but but it can be uh, can be that as well just yeah just kind of just yeah exactly get, get to training camp let's hope all 90 guys show up at training camp in the in the uh, in the position that we hope that, that they're going to be in but um but yeah but you know again i think they i think this is a team they feel really good about that way you know i think they feel like uh, you know with the guys they drafted you know i think they 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 feel like uh, you know these are a lot of guys who all love football and are really enthusiastic about it and stuff like that so um you know i think they're i think they're uh, excited about it going into the off season you can read his stuff, of course, at the Seattle Times and uh, follow him on Twitter at B Condota. Bob, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Okay. Yep. Thanks a lot, Dan. All right. We'll talk to you next time. Okay. Thank you for watching Seahawks Forever. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever and subscribe to the channel for notifications of new episodes and live streams. It's the best way to support the show. Until next time, go Hawks.